Welcome to another episode of CC's Word, folks. I'm excited to be at Bob Street Studios once again to uh, record the final countdown, folks. We are a week away from the 2020 presidential election, or general election, I should say, because there's a lot more than just the presidential race on the ballot. In Alabama, there's a few amendments. I had a voting guide for Alabama in my car. I should have brought it in, but uh, I could have given you guys information on what is on the ballots here in the city of Birmingham or the county of Jefferson in the state of Alabama. But, uh, folks, last week I went hard to paint on the 44th president, mostly because he uh, he, he, he made an interview, or he had an interview, uh, where, you know, I, I just... I'm at a place where, and this is going to be important going forward, no matter who wins this election, where both sides, no matter what they uh, personally feel about an individual on, on like a personal level, we have to be able to look critically at our leaders, folks, because if we don't, we're not going to be able to make much progress in this country. That goes for Trump. If you're a Trump supporter, you're not able to acknowledge the fact that he has certainly inflamed some of the tensions that's in this country, just like the Democrats can't. You know, if you're a Democrat and you can't admit, okay, hey, Joe Biden is certainly not the best individual when it comes to, of all the choices we had to run for president and the Democrat side, the idea that this guy was the best choice is is, is laughable, I think. But, you know, with the ticket Biden-Kamala, we're supposed to be excited, baby, to go vote and get behind this ticket. You know, they, they represent African-American women. You know, there's an MSNBC report, though, where they had a conversation with some like millennial G Gen, Gen Z African-American ladies in their, uh, you know, mid to late 20s and like early 30s. And um, for them, it, it was hilarious because the MSNBC host was almost kind of confused because they were like, yeah, we're not just behind Biden because he was Obama's vice president or because He's the Democrat nominee. What are you going to do for us? What are the policies? They actually asked about policies. They were asking about, you know, like, why would we support uh, someone who's put forth a crime bill and hasn't apologized, hasn't repented for that? It's very good. There's an individual that I had a conversation with. I don't know if he listens to this podcast or not, but at the beginning of this, well, back when the primary was still going on, and way at the beginning of, like, COVID, we had a conversation about whether or not, you know, Biden was going to be someone who... uh who was the best individual to, to beat Trump. And uh, for him, he was saying, well, the people don't really care about a policy. They just care about, you know, rhetoric or they, they care about more. Uh, the, the, like his argument was basically, we don't have to get someone that's a policy focused campaign. We just have to get someone who is able to make things happen in Washington. And so Biden is that type of individual. And that's why we should support him, which is insane to me because he, okay. he doesn't use that power for the people that he does have, right? And the president doesn't either, so don't get it twisted. Relax, Trump people. He's like if you haven't understood where I stand about how like we are in a in a in a rough spot no matter who wins this election, and I'm not confident in either side's ability to really address the issues of our time in an effective way. I can't express that even more, I don't think. I don't think I can. Last night the Senate confirmed Amy Comey Barrett and you know, again, so many folks are so celebrating, celebratory 
and the idea of a conservative court because of the cultural issues. But again, I, I, the conversation must be, hey, what are their thoughts on workers' rights? What are their thoughts on corporate powers? What are, they th- what are their thoughts on money and politics? What are their thoughts on uh, foreign money and, and its involvement in our political system? Like, those are the type of conversations that 100% should be talked about when considering a Supreme Court nominee. I've gone over that before in the show when we talked about Amy Comey Barrett's nomination. But, like, the way this election is being framed is, is, is in such a, like, they're thinking that Biden may flip Texas because Beto O'Rourke is out there trying to get middle-class, suburban, mostly white folks to come out and vote for Biden. I'm not going to say that that's like a bad group of people, but when you have a situation where almost 40% of the Hispanic vote in Texas is uh, expected to go toward Trump, then there has to be a serious conversation about like, okay, identity politics and all this stuff. Like if that's what the Democrats lean on and they just assume because of that, they're going to be able to get the black support. They're going to be able to get the Hispanic support. They're going to be able to get any marginalized group without actually putting forward substantive policy agendas for those groups, then they're, they're going to end up being in a situation where they could lose this election or they could lose future elections that are, that are, that are, that are important because their whole, like after 2008 folks, when Obama won, there was a lot of Democrats, strategists, people like James Carville, who was a, I believe he was a campaign manager for uh, Clinton in the nineties, won the, when he won uh, the presidential races, but um, he's a guy that's like uh, one of their main things was this idea that after Obama won, the demographics that they had secured in that election were going to be able to stay with them no matter what, because their idea was like, well, they certainly aren't going to go to Republicans. They're certainly not going to be a significant group of Hispanics that go to the to the Republicans. But when you realize that, like, okay, on policy issues, there's a significant group of Hispanics in this country that believe in a tougher border. You know, they, they're more on the right on, on border and immigration issues than they would, than most people would expect. They are, you know, there's a, there's a significant bit of the Hispanic electorate that is Catholic. And so abortion and uh you know, right to life and right to death, those type of issues that a lot of, uh, that, that are focused in, you know, gay marriage. And, and even though I think that that's out the the question about whether or not that'd be overturned at this point, but these type of issues that Democrats assume because they're on the left or because they are more supportive of some groups than his, uh, than the Republicans, they're just entitled to that vote. And that's just not right. That's just not true. Um, folks, like, I'm going to give a prediction for this race. I, I, it's hard for me to say what's going to happen. So let me just look at the polls for you folks. So in the last week, 538, very, uh, very respected in the polling industry as far as a website that compiles all these polls together and presents them in a way that's very clear and concise. Uh, so essentially, in some of the big states like like Pennsylvania, Biden has a consistent, I would say, three to five point lead. There's there's about a three to five point lead in a lot of these polls. 
Now, uh, granted, the margin of error in these polls, I'm not sure what they are. They don't really show that. But of likely voters in um, in Pennsylvania, uh, Biden has, like I said, has kept about a, a three to five point lead. The, the closest poll is uh, one that was conducted between the 22nd and 26th. Ras, uh, Rasmussen, which is actually more of a, a, a right-leaning uh, polling organization, had the poll at just two points for Biden uh, in Pennsylvania, 49-47 was the count, a percentage. Um, and then, you know, look at last week. Last week you saw kind of the same thing, uh, but that, by, that gap that Biden had in Pennsylvania, that was more of like a six, a yeah, like a six to uh, a six to eight point lead. Looks like, yeah, that has evaporated a little bit in the past week. So Pennsylvania is a big state. I think that whoever wins there is is probably going to be the next president, folks. Uh, that's not to say that like if on election night Trump wins Pennsylvania, but mail-in ballots come in and then perhaps Pennsylvania ends up going blue, then. That's a, that's possible too. Like on election night, whatever the electoral map looks like can be completely different when this election is final and all ballots count. So that's where it's like, you know, when I when I do this podcast next week um, on Tuesday, on the the night of the election, we're gonna have a guest on the show, folks. It will be my father, who is a very very um, opinionated individual when it comes to politics. And uh, I love his perspective. I enjoyed uh, speaking with him on a few things. We don't agree on everything. But uh, he is in the line of, or at least I think I'm getting him to be in the, in, in, in the line of thinking of like, well, you know, again, like we, we are both, with both these candidates, there are significant challenges the country faces. And neither one of them seem fit to, uh, to really address them. But uh, for him, you know, uh, it, it is about certain issues that, um, that are, that are critical in this election, and and you know, we'll just have to see what he says next week, folks. And you'll be able to hear directly from his, from him, what uh, what he feels about the current state of affairs in our in our politics. But when I do this podcast next week, you know, at the end, I'm going to do just an hour at some point during the night, probably toward the end of the night. When states are really starting to like the map starting to come together a little bit, and there's maybe an idea of of where the election is heading, at least based on election day votes and mail in ballots uh, that have already been counted and absentee ballots that have been counted, all those all those you know other uh, ballots do have to come in. Like I said, and 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 it could be a few days or a week or so before we really know what the final results are. Um, but folks. With with what we have ahead, it's just man, it's interesting what's going to happen. Because my thing is this: like I I do feel that the next like month or two could be some of the most volatile months or times in our country's history since like I mean since really probably uh, I would say the civil rights era where 
you had just massive amounts of protest and a massive amount of uh, of civil disobedience. Um, now that was justified. We know that the civil rights movement was. Uh, now, when, when we get to a point where the civil rights movement to me was about human rights and was about assuring that uh, the constitution of this country is applied to every citizen. When it comes to now and our political divides, it's a little bit more complicated because it is so political. It is, there are some parts of this where it's like, some people over exaggerate how existential it is. There are some people that under exaggerate how important some issues are. Um, but ultimately, like, I, I say all that because I feel that there will be a time where, like, we already are seeing clashes in a lot of these cities with between, you know, people that are on the left, people that are on the right. You got Antifa and then you've got the Proud Boys or any uh any, any whatever right wing group is, is going out there and, and causing uh some mayhem, um, uh, in the sense of I think that they are actively looking to provoke individuals on the left, just like there are people on the left too that actively look to provoke individuals on the right. So when we when we kind of seem so polarized in some areas of this country i'm just very concerned about what the reaction will be to the election if one side loses like i uh, or you know either side loses really i think if trump loses like there's a significant idea like there are some people who do truly have it in their mind that this country will end under uh, john or a uh, joe biden administration that they, that we will we we will see like a terrible, terrible, terrible uh, situation because uh, this administration, I guess, stands against everything that is quote-unquote American and whatever, which is, you know, like, I always find it gross, and this is why I dislike what a lot of the president says, but whenever they try and pit Americans against each other, that is a sign of desperation that you don't actually have any solutions for this country, sir. That's how I feel with Trump, and I think that uh, that was Hillary's mistake in 2016 try to call people deplorables, try to make people that vote for Trump as though they were a marginalized group that just had no reason to be taken seriously. But there's a lot of people that had legitimate economic concerns and voted for Trump in 2016 that Democrats refused to acknowledge. Or if they have acknowledged it, they've done it internally and they've gone after that group. Those, uh, you know, like I said, those white suburban, suburban Americans, it's the main demo that Democrats have targeted. And they just expect every other group uh, that is uh you know like a minority group to just hop on board with them because hey like i said they wouldn't they would never go for those republicans that's their mindset but i don't know man the main point of this uh podcast is really just kind of ran about my final thoughts on this election and to give you all a prediction Based on the polls, it looks like Biden will will, will likely be someone who uh, who can win this this election. Um, I do feel that will be a lot closer than what the polls are showing. I think that uh, like there's on the national forecast, there's like an 88 and 100 chance that uh, Biden will win, and a 12 and 100 chance that Trump will win. They say, and. You know, there's there's a few critical states that uh, 
that Trump has to win that just really do seem out of reach for him. Um, but who knows, man? I think 2016 showed us that there's definitely a significant group of people that will vote for the president that will never tell anyone that they did before or after the election. There's a significant group of the people of the uh, group of people that I think will sit out this election too. I just won't vote. And uh, you know, I mean, there there are definitely people who think that that is just the worst thing you can do right now. But I understand that sentiment completely. I do not agree with it. I do think you should vote still. I do think you should, uh, like I always say, really do what's best for the future of this country in your opinion. But I think voting is an important part of that. But like I said many times on this show, I acknowledge why people can be completely disaffected with this system, why people can say voting doesn't work. Why the hell should I do it? I can understand why people look at the fact that, you know, we if you have lived in this country for 20 years like I have, so I've lived in this country for 21 years. I'm about to be 22, folks, in December. And any, like, remote understanding of how the political system works and just an experience in seeing how things have taken place over the past few years. Um, really, like, essentially, like, people who came up during the financial crisis, during the Iraq War, during uh, now the, you know, the stimulus uh, or, or the coronavirus crisis and how there's been a lack of stimulus for months by uh, the federal government and there is just political... BS, that's that's really a reason why that hasn't happened, right? Um, because there's blame on both sides, in my opinion, to uh, to go about for why we haven't gotten a stimulus. But, like, I can get looking at what's happened over the past 20 years and say, yeah, this is, w- w- why should I participate in this? <laughs> like, I get that sentiment. And, like, some people think it's insane to think that. Some people just say, it's, like, to me, you're the insane one if you don't understand that why people don't think government works for them. You just have to look at the you know, material reality for a lot of Americans and what they have seen in this country over the past, like I said, 20 years. I get it. Hey, I get it, folks. You know? When Bush lands on the ship in uh, the San Diego, on the San Diego coast, with a mission accomplished banner behind him after Iraq, and yet here we are 20 years later, and we still got troops there. That country is still a mess. As Colin Powell said, you break it, you buy it. In the sense of, you know, he warned against Iraq because it was going to be like a uh, a piece of pottery that once you broke, it's going to be very hard to put back together. You know? And uh, they don't care, though. When you understand that these wars and these, these interventions and a lot of the major decisions that are made in, in the government have a great deal of influence from corporations and from those that are at the top of the economy and would like for the status quo to stay the same for their benefit. At the demise of so many other Americans, so many middle class and working individuals, when you see that countless times over and over and over and over and over again, then why would you, uh, again, like, I think you would be insane to think that, uh, or to you would be insane to not understand why someone feels that way. I don't think it's crazy to say you uh, you should vote. 
Right? I don't think it's insane to advocate and to try to get as many people out to vote as you can. But, like, let's not lie to people, folks. Let's not try and put any type of blinders over what is reality for people. And, like, this idea that either one of these candidates are going to be transformative is insane. Let's relax, people. Let's relax. This is the most meh election that we have ever had in this country's history when it comes to, in my opinion, about, like, the ability for either of these people to actually be uh, the leadership that, that would be required to get this country back going in a direction that works for the most uh, people and, like, the middle, the middle class and the, the working class. I mean, that's where I focus the most when it comes to economics, especially, folks, because for decades they have divided us on policies that have to do more with culture and uh, social issues, which, again, not saying those aren't important, but if we don't have a serious conversation about what the economic ramifications of the past, you know, like 50 years of trickle-down economics has been and the idea that without a major shift in the way that we view government spending, the way we view uh, the way uh, we measure success on economics and on a societal basis, the fact that Trump – and so many people look at the stock market, look at the uh, the GDP of our country and say, oh, well, things, things are going great. But there is like, and this is why I'm like, hey, I supported Andrew Yang, folks, because of this. All right? Yang's proposal was a humanity-focused economy, was a human-centered capitalism is what he called it. And this is the idea that we're going to still keep our system. We're not trying to socialize everything. We're not trying to make this country completely uh you know an unfree market capitalist nation but uh or authoritarian nation economy what we're trying to do is say hey let's measure our economic success based on how many small businesses have started and succeeded in this year or in, in the past few months let's let's measure our success by the amount of people that have health care coverage and seeing the numbers on who is uncovered and what we can do to fix that. Hey, let's let's measure our success based on uh, the uh, growth and average household income in the United States, uh, in the middle class and in, in, in low-income areas. Hey, let's measure success by uh, the amount of economic opportunity created in uh, areas that are that are, that, are, that have you know been economically disadvantaged and uh, and and are low income, right? Hey, let's measure our success by uh, how many babies are born into uh, like out of poverty, right? Like that that are not in poverty, and seeing how we can lower the number of kids that are born in poverty. Hey, let's measure our success by seeing the uh, mortality rate of uh, of mothers during their birth, and see how we can lower that, especially in the African American community. Hey, let's measure our success by seeing. Uh, how many Americans have enough money to pay for an unexpected expense of $500 or more and how we can fix uh, this economic system to be one that puts more money into the American people's pocket. UBI is an example of why he wanted to do that. But I go on and on about how this man and his focus was, uh, was truly to, to, to transform our system. I think in a way that, uh, would would make our government focus more on what is best for the middle class and working individuals of this nation and not just those at the top of the economy. 
And, you know, I mean, I, li- I liked Bernie and a lot of what he said as well. Um, more so because, again, like the, there is definitely a focus on middle and working class individuals with a lot of his economic policies. Um, some people tried to... <sighs> it's amazing, man. There there were some people that, like, uh, got so upset that he didn't go to the Edmund Pettus Bridge uh, on the same day uh, that the other Democratic candidates went. Um... Bernie was in Inglewood and in, uh, in the south side of uh, of Los Angeles, making a case for the economics uh, proposals that he had to help the African American community and the low income communities around this country. Um, yet, people tried to paint him as some sort of uh, prejudice or some sort of uh, individual that was not uh, focused on helping the African American community simply because he did not participate in the uh, symbolic show of just you, you call it what it is folks like when a politician shows up to something like the Edmund Pettus Bridge walk and and during an election that they're running in and uh and they have they don't do it in any other scenario or any other year then you tell me how genuine that is like it's amazing to me how many people went out to Bernie for not showing up to that event when <laughs> You had crime bill Joe Biden there, and there was no conversation about, like, hey, man, are you going to actually reverse some of those ramifications or effects that you had on the African-American and low-income minority communities with your crime bill? That's not that's not even brought up, man. The man who has a record of being more racist than Bernie isn't questioned on that, and because he didn't show up at a, at a specific location. For what I see as a symbolic gesture for a lot of those people, Pete Buttigieg, I can guarantee you, didn't give a damn by the Edmund Pettus Bridge before he came down. He was running for president. He had to make sure that he got that photo op. Let's just be real, folks. And no, don't try to sugarcoat that, man. And, like, I'm not trying to undervalue the importance of the march uh, from Selma to Montgomery and the uh, significance of that location and the great work that people like John Lewis and all those have done to um, to advance African American causes, right, uh, or or did in their in their young days, and uh, in their time as as civil rights activists, but like that's what it is. And if you try to kid yourself like it's something different, then then relax. That's crazy. Like you're just as crazy as someone who thinks Donald Trump is truly someone that cares about the middle class and low income individuals low-income white people that are in the middle of the woods somewhere and those type of people that are the most hardcore Trump lovers when he could give a damn about any of them, I can guarantee you. Just like Biden doesn't care about a lot of people probably here in the north side of Birmingham, right? Like, this just, folks, you come to this show, and I try to keep it as real as I can with you because, like, if we don't still, that's another part of it. It's like if we don't start having these conversations in a real way, and not being pandered to by politicians, man, we're not going to get anywhere. And, like, there are people who make the argument that, like, the pandering works. The pandering's good for our community. No, it's not, man. Because when they try to replace that as, you know, like, representation does not equal <laughs> implementation of policies, that work for minority and uh, 
you know, communities, middle class Americans, and low income areas. So, folks, I do think Biden will most likely win this election. I think it will be tight. I think it will be closer than a lot of the polls are showing. Um, and because of that, I also feel that there's a chance the president can win, too. Like, I'm, let's not throw that out the, completely the window. Based on the evidence, though, I believe that Joe Biden will win. Barring any unforeseen Trump vote, barring any, you know, crazy new developments that come out in the next week uh, that, that hurt Biden, I do think that he will likely win. Uh, but what happens after that, who knows? Um, what, what I also want to talk about, though, is a few of the Senate races. So let me let me pull up the polling info for that. But... Um, There is a very important seat that's up for election here in the state of Alabama, where uh, Doug Jones is going against Republican nominee, Mr. Mr. Tommy Tuberville, the former head coach of the Auburn Tigers. I always say he's a mediocre coach. He'll probably be a mediocre senator. His campaign certainly hasn't been mediocre or uh, abysmal, in my opinion. But, hey, he's still winning in polls here in this state. So, uh, But in some other races, there are some interesting races around the country that's taking place in the Senate. There's a race in Iowa, Joni Ernst's seat. There's a uh, race in uh in Maine, where Susan Collins, who who will likely win, but there's a chance she could be taken out by uh, by. Uh, but there's a independent challenger that used to be a Democrat or that ran as a Democrat originally. That's against uh, Susan Collins. I don't think Republicans will be able to take that seat. The best chance that they have of getting someone like Susan Collins out would be uh, that independent race, uh, who's more of a who can connect with more progressives. I think in Maine. Um, When it comes to uh, what the Senate will likely look like after the election, there's a good chance that the Senate will be taken back by the Democrat Party. Um, there's a prediction uh, of of about uh, a 55 to 52 uh, majority by just three seats. Um, I think that Democrats have a chance of holding about 40 seats. And they may lose. Uh, really, really, there's a good chance that they could keep. Um, yeah, there's a chance that they could keep. There's a, there's a chance they could keep more than more than just those. They could really keep. They could keep all these seats if things go uh, like ideally for Democrats. But like in a state like Alabama, like let's just be real. Like there's a there's a major chance that. Because of the rural areas, especially, Doug Jones will lose, um, even though it is incredible because Tommy Tuberville has focused his entire campaign on like being an ally for President Trump, and that's how he's going to get elected in, 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 in this state, most likely. But if Trump loses, what is the, and like, that's why I do find it insane that he's winning this election. 
I find it insane because I know that the party politics of this state is so gross that people genuinely just vote based on party in this state, and it's so gross. That is the most grossest form of uh, participating in democracy, in my opinion. I'd rather you not vote sometimes than just vote straight ticket. Um, but if you are going to vote for Tommy Tuberville and then Trump loses, why is there not a conversation about like, well, what are you actually going to do, sir? on your own what policy proposals are you going to put forward and it really doesn't seem like there's much else that uh tommy tuberville has to offer besides being another vote for trump in the senate and again like there's a chance that that won't have anything to like that that won't even be relevant if trump loses so it's like hey what are you gonna do man but like People are down with him. People are with him. People are just, people are on board with Tommy Tuberville. There's so many signs I see. And like, I, I so want to pull over sometimes and be like, hey, what are your, what are the policy goals that uh, have been put forward by Tommy Tuberville that you support? I'd love to have that conversation with people that support Tommy Tuberville. Granted, there are some people that support Doug that can't do the same thing, right? There's a lot of uninformed voters out there. Uh, but, uh, at least by a Doug for sure has a record to run on. Doug for sure has put forward policies that work uh, or at least that are better than nothing. And, you know, like I know I sound very biased in the Senate race, but I do feel strongly that like, it is important to get someone like Doug Jones in the Senate because uh, like, look, he's not transformative. He's not progressive. He's a blue dog Democrat that will probably side with Republicans more than most Democrats. But, um, well, more than like more more left leaning Democrats, but I don't expect Doug to be a corporatist. That's why I like him. I don't expect Doug to be someone that is hell bent on supporting the, and helping those at the top of the economy and saying screw you to every other worker in this nation. Um, I don't expect Doug to pander, even though some people do feel that he does that. Uh, the reason why I don't think he I don't consider him to be pandering because he always backs up what he's saying. Like he has been one of the, to me, one of the, one of, the, one of uh, many, you know, significant figures in, in the fight toward you know, racial equality and justice um, through judicial means in our, in our state. And I mean, of course, you know, he has fame for being the prosecutor that took the, that, that, uh, you know, was able to, charging uh or, or yeah he was he was able to i'm completely messing up the story doug jones was the prosecutor who was able to uh get the perpetrators of the 16th street baptist church bombing uh behind bars that's big but not only has he done that when you look at what he's done when it comes to implementing policies that actually uh, like are, are good for HBCUs, improved education funding there, improved funding for small business growth in low-income areas, something that he's fought for. Uh, veterans, tremendously, something he's fought for a lot. Uh, particularly, I think that's important because our state is a place where there's a lot of homeless veterans. Um, there's a lot of veterans that may have mental challenges, mental health challenges that they aren't 
being uh, or don't have access to 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 get those properly addressed. Um, there's a lot of reasons to support old Doug Jones, but I don't want to make this a campaign podcast about him. But folks, it's just. If our national politics becomes what what Alabama politics has become, where people are on their side, Republican, Democrat, and that's it, baby. And they're going to vote for that side no matter what. Um, boy, if that's where our... Like, you look at our state right now. You, you see how... If you live in Alabama, you see how behind on the times we are in, in, in many ways, politically and uh, socially. Uh, and and I I'm not even too focused on on the social aspects of our state because I do think that those are things that can't that shouldn't be necessarily controlled by government. But when it comes to policies like um, judicial reforms, ending the way uh, private prisons are just sprinkled throughout this state like it's candy, uh, and there's just so much funding that goes to those. The way, uh, like the prison industrial system, has used this state as as a as a breeding ground for so much of the corruption that takes place uh, in the judicial system here, uh, or, or at least in the sentencing and the punishment of many individuals, uh, lead to uh, essentially slave labor in some of these uh, prisons, and you know. The Fourteenth Amendment or the Thirteenth Amendment does say that uh, it would be, um, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation—it's not Emancipation Proclamation—but the Thirteenth Amendment is uh, is essentially, you know, this is—I'm going to read it to you. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the parties shall have been duty duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. And so we allow in the 13th Amendment for slavery to continue as long as you can, you know, you 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 are placed uh in that situation based on a crime that you have been accused of and convicted of. There's a lot of, lot of organizations now that are fighting uh, to try and curb that because simply put folks, I mean, the idea of doing work that is good for the public when you're in jail, such as uh, if you're picking up trash, if you are, uh, you you are really picking up trash is the only scenario, or, or if you're doing road work, which is something that happens in some places. But even when you do work like that, there needs to be fair wages in prisons. Yeah, and and people are gonna call me crazy for that, but like, it's insane that we're letting this happen, where corporations are benefiting tremendously from, uh essentially slave labor in a lot of these prisons, private prisons in particular around the country. Like I would, I would understand 
a system where it's like you're not paid as much for work that benefits the public because that's part of your sentencing, right? You are paying your debt to public. But when you're paying no debt that you don't owe anything to corporations in these prisons, that's insane. And we can't let that happen. But, like, those are the type of things that happen in our state on a daily basis, and no one talks about it because they're like, hey, is this a Republican? I'm with them, baby. You know? And in our state, like, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that think Kay Ivey might run again and she might be the Republican nominee for governor, and it's just like, Christ, you know? I say that because I'm so ready for a more uh, someone like under 50 becoming the next governor of our state would be great. You know? Like someone who has a sense of what the world and what the, the, the people of this state truly uh, truly at least like like I understand there's a significant bit of this, of this state that is you know uh really conservative and really 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 big on you know uh, conservative values and on on you know faith-based values uh but the idea that we can't have leadership that is progressive and uh doesn't infringe on those is crazy i think because like look we're not saying i want i'm not saying i want a governor that's you know coming out the gate saying you can have abortions on the day the baby is due and you know you can uh you know, you, you you take away all your guns, like all these, uh, you know, crazy ideas that people on the right think that uh, left-wingers support. But, um, you know, I always describe myself as an independent that is left-leaning and a populist. I lean to the left, and uh, I support policies that work for the majority of the middle class and working individuals of this country. And for someone like me, I do not feel I've had a governor in this state that represents me in my lifetime, certainly not before me. And uh, I'm not sure with the current demo of makeup of our state and the people that vote, that will change. Some people love Kayabi. Can't tell me why. Can't tell me why. Can't give me one reason why they love Kayabi. Um. But, hey, Kay didn't even have to show up to debates, man. There was a debate that was scheduled here in Birmingham, I believe, um, against Walt Maddox, which was the last, uh, I believe he was the Democrat nominee that ran against her in 2018. She didn't even show up. She didn't say, she said she didn't need to show up, which is true. She didn't have to. Why should she do that? Like, it's the, thing that with Tuber, it's the same thing with Tuberville voting or, or uh not doing a debate with Doug Jones, like, I'm not saying it's right for them to not do a debate, but it certainly is politically smart for them to not do a debate because they have everything to lose, nothing to gain. Well, they have things to gain, but, like, there's more to lose than gain when you have to be criticized in front of the people for your actions and for your plans, uh, you know, have to be defended. They have to be thought out you have to be able to uh put forward and really more than just rhetoric on campaigns um when when you're in a a debate but 
when you live in a state where you can just cruise to victory and say that you will uh, support the president of the United States and not put any policy that uh, that works for the middle class of this country or, or this state, then, yeah, man, why, why would you mess that up? Why would you try and change that? It's the easiest way to win an election ever. You just have to do nothing. Say uh, everything that's wrong with your opponent and never look at yourself or put forward any policies that work, and you'll win. That's what this state's proven. God help us if that's what our national politics becomes. We're on our way. I think we're this election definitely like has been one of the most substance-free ones when it comes to actual like policies. Biden has put a lot forward that's a lot more populist sounding in the past few uh, weeks. And boy, he makes me excited about some of that. But my hopes are so not up because I like his record and everything he's done in government goes against a lot of what he put forward in this campaign. Um, and so I'm 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 just I'm concerned about whether or not this will be followed through on. Um, and it's crazy that some people like man, people on the uh, that are Biden supporters like they they come at me sometimes for things that like are just not crazy or out of the picture to have a discussion about like for me to have doubts about crime bill Joe Biden about. MBNA Joe Biden, they called him that because he was a supporter of the insurance, or excuse me, the credit card industry that was based in Delaware, which was able to take advantage of a lot of Americans. But um, people think I'm crazy for for, for doubting his ability to, uh, to actually complete the goals that he's put forward in this country or in this campaign. And... Um, you know, I expect for them to make the same excuses that they made for President Obama whenever he couldn't get things accomplished. Um, he was able to get everything accomplished for Wall Street and the big banks and uh, the military-industrial complex, but not much for the regular American individual people. You know, I won't go on on that uh, anymore. I've gone. Uh, I've gone. I've gone in on the 44th president enough, I think. But when it comes to his uh, vice president and possible next president of the United States, it's fair to have my doubts, folks. And we'll see. That's kind of my attitude with it. We'll see if he does any of these things that he puts forward. That was the same attitude I had with Trump, too, man. Like, I didn't support him in 2016. I didn't vote in 2016 because I was 17 years old. But... um like, I do fully believe, uh, like, in 2016 when Trump won, my attitude was like, okay, he said a lot of these populist things. He said he's going to close care and interest loopholes. He said he's going to end the wars. He said he's going to put forward a health care system that everyone's covered. Um, and, of course, he said a lot of, you know, we're going to build the wall. He had a lot of, the, a lot of anti-immigration rhetoric that was xenophobic and, uh, and, and racist in many ways. Um, and also he put forward, um, you know, I think uh, not the best foreign policy approach when it comes to our allies, uh, but he won on that. And it was like, okay, we'll see. Will he actually act on some of this? Most of it, he did not. Right. Most of it, he did not. And so now it's like, you know, again, like I don't have any faith in any side to really do anything for substantive for the, for the American people. Like Trump was 
more of a populist going into this race than Biden. And now he looks like more of a corporatist and establishment Republican than Joe Biden does a corporate Democrat or, or establishment Democrat. And so they're both, you know, the worst of both their sides. You know, they're both representative of the worst on both of their sides, in my opinion. But, um, I'll say this about this election, and then I'll, I'll be done. I think I'm going to cut this episode a little, a little short or a while, actually. We're going a little longer than I thought. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and try to wrap up. Folks, next week, join me for a uh, another podcast I'm going to do with my father, where I will discuss uh, this election. We're going to talk about the results, that, the results that we have so far. We'll probably record a little later in the night, and then I'll uh, I'll post that either the next morning or, or go ahead and post it that night if uh, if I feel good about the audio and everything. Um, but folks, get the mic close here. The elites have won. Those at the top of this economy have won this election, no matter who wins. I think the middle class of this country and the low income areas and households in this country, I won't say they've lost, but we got an uphill battle. No matter what, people, no matter who wins this thing, we got an uphill battle. The White House, I don't think, will be on the side of fighting that battle with us, no matter who wins this election. Could be wrong. Joe Biden could have changed. His record could be thrown out the window. His donors, the people that they're you know, rumored to be considering for cabinet positions, Tell me the opposite. Tell me we're going to get the same thing, folks. So, we'll see, man. And ladies. We'll see men and ladies. But, folks, I don't know really um, what else to say. I mean, over the past few months, I've I've spilled so much about this election. I've ranted many hours. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is up to us, the individuals, to 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 do things first to help our communities and to better those around us. And then we have to organize, strategize, mobilize, most, uh, based on the policies that we want to put forward that will improve the lives of so many in this country. If we aren't policy-focused, folks, I don't think there's going to be much that gets done for this future of this country. That's what it is, man. If we are focused on politics and we let the politicians... Like, look, if we try to play the game of politics, the politicians will always win, guys. So it has to be a game of policy. It has to be a game of what's best for the, for the people. It has to be a populist game. It has to be, say, hey... Like that's why progressives they upset me so much in Congress, like AOC and all those who who just, you know, love those establishment Democrats so much, but uh they know that they stand against them completely on so many issues. Uh to where like at some point the the gloves have to come off and we have to say, Look, the people are with us, the progressives, the majority, the American people support Medicare for all, the majority of the American people support Green New Deal, even though I'm not, you know, 100% on that that policy. But, hey, these are the ideas that the progressives put forward. 
you know, uh, the American people are overwhelmingly in support of uh, ending the drug war, ending uh, the amount of wars that, and, and conflicts we're involved in around the world, uh, lowering uh, the uh, sentencing for for various drug crimes and decriminalizing, legalizing so many, uh, you know, chemicals that have been demonized for decades in our nation and, and substances. The people are with you. Have some balls, and uh, use them against the, uh, the the elites and the establishment. And for you folks, I just ask, like I said, do your own research, get informed, organize, strategize, and mobilize. Like the great Killer Mike has always said. I'm not just saying that because I want you to vote like a lot of people do. I want you to vote Joe Biden like a lot of people do say that. Right? A lot of organizations that'll 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 that kinda of cloak themselves in nonpartisanship, but they they know what they're about. I'm gonna try to keep it real with you and just say, look, vote for whoever you feel is best for the future of this country. But it starts with you doing what you can to impact your community in order to Get the the you know more individuals with you and 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 grow your efforts to be something that can overcome these political games and the odds that are against us. With uh, with with transforming this nation to be one that's centered on what's best for the majority of the people, that has to be what we are. We are supposed to be a democratic republic, and democratic is uh, not the Democrat Party, but Demo, uh, democratic as in democracy. So, it's on us, folks. Don't, uh, don't look for them to try to save us. Because they've proven time and time again that that's not going to happen. Do not expect any side to transform the future of this country in this election. I think 2024 is where we'll have the best chance of some transformative things happening. Um, but also understand there will be some interesting things ahead for the future of this country. Probably in the next few months and in the next few years, we're going to see what happens um, as a result of this pandemic and the economic distress of it. Um, first on the agenda has to be getting some type of new stimulus check put forward or new new support economically for the people. So we will see whenever that happens. To me, this year, the way that they have played political games with people's lives, again, shows you that this is not, they, they are not, don't rely on them. Don't rely on the leadership as it is currently to get much done for you. Because there's going to have to be, uh, there's going to have to be a reckoning with what is best for the future of this country, with what is best for the people. And what uh, those at the top of the economy and that, you know, in the back rooms and the corporations and, and, and the military industrial complex, prison industrial complex, the gun industry, all those that uh, that lobby against things that are best for the people. I love the Second Amendment folks, but the NRA and some of those gun manufacturers need to chill out because um, they definitely like everyone doesn't need a tank, right? Relax. Um, but 
We'll see, folks. Thank you if you listen to this podcast, folks. If you've listened to every episode since the first one in this uh, this year, back in March when I started this show, uh, I'm, I'm truly thankful. And I want you to continue sharing. I want you to continue following. Subscribe. Uh, you know, like, share, follow. And uh, let me know your thoughts, folks. But uh, this is an episode, you know, where I, I I was hoping to just kind of give you an idea of what's ahead and, uh, you know, give my final thoughts on this election. And those final thoughts really mainly being that, again, you shouldn't really, let's not expect anything transformative to happen in the future here, no matter who wins this election. Uh, but be prepared to go to work and to do some things. Uh, because if, if we don't, folks, it's it's going to be on us, man. I keep saying it's going to be on us, the people, to make this happen. Because um, if we don't, then we're just going to continue to see this political system not work for us. So, have a good one, folks. And uh, you'll hear from me next Tuesday. Me and Dad. Have a good one, folks. <laughs>